If we uh, titled this, I would title this um, talk, uh, One Red Paperclip, and uh, that makes no sense, so we'll come back to that in a little bit, but um, Ron had handed us Genesis 27 to uh, speak about, and if you've been here at Rock Point uh, for the, over the years, you would have heard Ron pretty much go chapter by chapter through Genesis already, chapters 1 through 26. Um, he didn't do that all at one time. I think he liked to kind of bounce around here or there. Um, even just a couple months ago, he started tackling one or two of the more difficult passages that he had not been to yet. And, um, but you may have missed that. Uh, you may have been absent at the time. Um, it may have been two or three years ago. So I want to do a, just a, a quick recap with you and walk through um, what has happened. Just kind of set the stage for getting to Genesis 27. So we'll do a, a quick Bible drill. You hold your spot in Genesis 27 and walk through. Um, starting really quick, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, God creates Adam and Eve and uh, blesses them, um, has a plan for them, uh, makes them to both have a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship, one with God and one with others. And um, so it kind of lays out his provision and everything is, is ready for them. Um, by chapter 3, they pretty much blow that already. It didn't take very long for uh, them to start fighting among each other, um, lying, misinterpreting what God had said. And uh, unfortunately, um, we see that they blame each other and that uh, mankind has been pretty much fighting ever since, um, including husband and wife um, as well. We skip over to uh, Genesis chapter 4, and we get there to Cain and Abel. And if you remember the story there, Cain is jealous of God's blessing upon Abel. And so rather than depending on God for his own blessing, um, he decides that he will kill his brother. And that must be you know, the way that he's going to uh, get what he wants in life. And again, you see the deceit and the sin that follows that from trying to have our own way, what we want, when we want it, um, continue. By, uh, by just Genesis chapter 6, we're not very far. If you were an author, you're kind of just have set the scene. And by this point, God is pretty much ready to scrap this whole mankind thing. He's, he's just pleased as he looks over all the earth, um, except for one person. And he does look upon Noah, and it says that he finds favor, um, that Noah finds favor in God's eyes. And he's pleased with them. And so you've heard the, the story there before. Um, there's a triumph in this one with somebody who experiences God's provision uh, rather than trying to seek out their own plan. And so uh, there's a fresh start. Um, after the flood story, Genesis chapter 9, God explains his redemption plan to Noah and to Noah's sons. Um, they get to hear that anew, that God is going to work through Noah's family um, to be able to bless all mankind. And it's a promise again. Noah's sons hear that. Um, but by Genesis chapter 11, uh, men are at it again at uh, their old tricks. This time they decide that uh, they will make themselves into their own religion. They will try to reach the heavens um, by the greatness of who they are. And uh, everything is there to worship them. And uh, they'll put themselves first. Kind of sounds like today. Um, and so we kind of continue. The Lord scatters them out um, at this point. Genesis chapter 12, um, Abraham enters the scene and, Gen and God further explains his redemption plan. The one that he had told Adam and the one that he told Noah, now he says to Abraham, and he, he brings more clarity this time too. He says, um, through you I'm going to bless all nations. Your, he talks about his descendants, um, how they're going to be more numerous than the stars. He explains that very clearly to him. Um, but twice we see even Abraham, uh, Abraham's fear of man rather than trusting in God, uh, sends him to cowardice, and he puts his wife in the hands of another twice. Um, second time to uh, King Abimelech. And um, so in the midst of that fun husband-wife dynamic of sending your wife to someone else, he also can't get along with his nephew Lot. 
And it's not because they disagree theologically or because, uh, you know, some great conflict. Basically, it's over possessions. Um, they can't agree because of their possessions. They're, they're, they have too much, and they're fighting about it, which is uh, typical even nowadays, too. And so we see even when this part, too, that Lot decides to leave the family of blessing, to leave where God is going to work, and choose instead to go move uh, down the valley by uh, Sodom. And if you know that story, that doesn't end well either. Um, Genesis 19, Lot's two daughters um, conceived children by giving daddy a little too much wine. That's not how we hope family will work out. Genesis chapter 21, Abraham's wife finally conceives, um, if you remember that story. And, um, and so the trouble there is Abraham's kind of already tried to seek out his own plan, his own way in that. And so now he has to send his concubine and his child out, um, Ishmael, out into the desert. And uh, so the story that we're into uh, chapter 21 with is a single mom who's out in the desert um, crying, ready for her baby to die. And yet you see that God still provides for them, um, even in the midst of that. You're kind of getting an idea, isn't it? You know, we, we look a lot of times when we remember these stories about the, the good points, and we look in Hebrews 11 for the faith chapter, but, you know, you look back and you go, they were pretty bad about just kind of seeking their own way and not always trusting God. A little bit more background. Um, God's continued provision um, is present. Abraham is tested by offering up the life of now this precious Isaac and uh, giving him up, ready to sacrifice and kill him. On God's order, um, but God sees that Abraham does trust him, um, even though that means a plan that just seems insane to us, and uh, God provides for them. Um, also in Genesis chapter 24, God has blessed him in every way, and he provides Rebekah as a wife to his son Isaac. Genesis chapter 25, um, good news is uh, Isaac has a wife, the bad news is she's barren. And again, um, God continues to be uh, faithful to them, and she conceives and has two sons. Um, so these, these two sons, um, even while they're inside, um, she, she knows that they're you're fighting and there's all these problems going on there, but uh, she trusts God. Um, interesting here, and this is not the first time, but just one time to point this out, um, that God goes contrary to custom, contrary to what uh, the people would expect at that point, and he chooses to bless and send inheritance through the youngest rather than the oldest. And uh, that, that's also something they have to trust God in. Uh, it's not the way that people normally do it around there. Um, and Esau seems destined to uh, self-fulfill that prophecy. Not very long um, into the story there, we see that Esau trades his birthright um, for a bowl of soup, for some tasty food. Um, and so also um, not just that part, but also just a small couple of verses that we are uh, going to start right afterwards, that twice he marries outside of the family of blessing. Again, you know, families are uh, kind of see that lineage and God is saying, my hand is on these people. Here are the people who have left and departed from that. And, uh, and yet Esau chooses to pick two wives from this other tribe. And we're told that um, those wives were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And then in Genesis chapter 26, um, Isaac pulls a page from dad's old playbook and he pretends his wife is a sister. Um, you think in the stories being passed down there that they would you know, learn the lesson that's not a good thing. But does that anyway. Sends her into the hands of Abimelech. This is probably the son of the original Abimelech. And... Um, you know, we're not told exactly what that reaction was, but don't you know the Abimelechs are getting tired of this family? Um, in fact, it's, it's both of these guys, um, the Abimelech crew, you know, there's probably a series of succession like Pharaoh's. Um, they are the ones reminding God's people, it doesn't work this way. <laughs> Why are you doing this? In fact, they start getting God's punishment. They have to remind the people of God's promise that, uh, that God has a different plan and not to trust in man and not to be afraid of man, but uh, to trust in God instead. Um, 
So these are your Old Testament heroes present to you, uh, the people that we look up to, the heroes of our faith. Um, they're, they're not the plastic saints, you know, that nothing sticks to. We think you're know, just perfect and without blemish, are they? Um, they're a lot like us. And you can keep going through. That's only 26 chapters in Genesis. And so you see um, there's a tragedy here. But the good news is, and the good part that we can learn from even starting here, is that God chooses to use these people in his redemptive plan. Um, talking with people about, uh, about this passage and uh, preparing for this weekend, it was said that uh, Genesis, uh, these chapters we're looking at, the entire book of Genesis, really the entire Old Testament is, um, is a redemptive tragedy. Um, it's tragic in the stories that, that the people uh, play and what they do in the way that they choose to run from God's provision, and yet somehow God always works that out. God always has his plan going through them. It's not derailed, despite man's best attempts, it seems sometimes. Um, God is working out his plan for humanity. Just a couple things real quick that we can find from this. It's always good to look at these stories and say, you know, what are the principles that are transferable? Um, don't send your wife out to another man's arms. That's a good one. There are three times here in Genesis, you know, the first couple chapters there. Um, but here's a couple more that you can uh, apply um, and I'll, I'll just let you know this, too. Ron has a custom, and Tommy did this, too, about us stopping and praying and asking God to work in our hearts but uh, uh, to help us to understand what's going on. But we have a part to play in that. Um, so I'd encourage you, Ron has said this before, we have pens on the back of your bulletin. There's a spot for notes. It's a great thing to write those things down. Um, hopefully some of that will stick because otherwise we tend to forget almost everything we hear by the time we walk out. Um, a couple things we can know. God has a plan for all mankind. It's good for us to know. And we're going to talk about that later when things get difficult um, and we are tempted maybe to go our own way, uh, to trust in ourselves or in someone else, that God has a plan. And that plan is not just from us to God vertically, but it's also horizontally. It's also to the people who are around us. It's also to our loved ones and to our enemies. Another point here is that God uses imperfect people in his plan. That's good news for you and I, too. Um, you hopefully at this point have come to the realization that you are not perfect. Um, I know that I've come to that realization pretty early in life, uh, figured that out. There's plenty of stories um, in the ways that I've missed God's plan. I've missed God's best. But God chooses to use people like me and like you and like our Old Testament characters um, that we're going to talk about here in a minute in his plan. Um, you know, you think about the author of Genesis, you could really, he could really could have gone through and prettied up these stories, right? He could have just said, you know, let me just give you uh, the good points of all this. You know, I don't want to distract you from God's plan, so let's just say um, God had a promise, and um, we, they had lots of children, and somehow God worked through those, and um, that's how we got God's people and God's promise today. But we're given the details. We're given the, the juicy and the, and the disappointing details, and I think that's helpful um, even for us. Uh, these are not shining figures who are beautiful in their holiness and their sanctity and all the things there, but uh, they are afflicted with the same sin that we struggle with too. And one more thing, uh, we said that God has a plan for all mankind and that he uses imperfect people. Uh, and the last one here that we see already in these stories is that God has room for grace. God has uh, provided room for grace in all of these uh, which is great for us, too. Sometimes, you know, we, I think we can have tunnel vision and think it has to work out one way. Uh, and even in these stories, we see God maybe presents a path. But even when man completely strays and abandons that path, um, God has room for grace and has left that there. 
And if we skip forward, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses um, was a very unwilling leader. Samson um, did not rely on God's strength um, and helped to rebuild the kingdom. David had his faults, Solomon and so on. Um, all these people did enough. You know, we're here at a, at a presidential uh, campaign time. All these people did enough that would definitely disqualify them from our leadership positions. Um, they did enough that, you know, even in a church service position, we kind of go, you know, you probably don't want to pick the guy who's, um, you know, who sends his wife out to other men. Probably don't want to pick the gal who, you know, got daddy a little too much wine. Now, those are probably not our best leaders, um, but God uses them. God has a, a grace and probably a, uh, an attribute we can learn about as well. So that sets the scene for our passage. Um, I wonder, as we're going to get into Genesis 27, it's basically the family all getting together. Um, I wonder what happens when uh, you have family reunions, when your extended family gets together. What is that like? Um, some of you, uh, your face kind of goes, oh, well, everything's cool. Why? And then some of you, I see the smiles, and your family's kind of like mine. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it may be joy to the world, you know, during those times. It may be Jerry Springer during those times. Um, and that's okay, as uh, we've said, you know, we all have a Jerry Springer side of the family. Um, I have two, I think, um, you know, but that's okay. Um, but family relationships can be weird. Family dynamics can be difficult, can't they? Um, it's not always easy. Um, on the day before our wedding day, um, uh, I'm married. We've been married almost 11 years. And the day before the wedding day should be good. You know, I think when you're naively um, thinking about a wedding, it's going to say planning a wedding, but, you know, of course, the men aren't really planning the wedding. Um, women are thinking about that since, you know, about age five. But, um, but, you know, as you're thinking about that week, you're thinking that should be a great time. And we're just going to be, you know, relax and enjoy. Look into my, you know, my spouse's eyes and, you know, recite our vows. And really, it's a stressful time, um, as many of you know from experience. And I remember the night before our wedding should have been a, a great time. Um, we had all of our family together, people we hadn't seen in a long time. And instead, it was one of those situations. I walked into one that night that I could do no right in, and it was the rehearsal dinner. It was an interesting time. The rehearsal dinner was like this. We have family, again, that have not seen each other for a while. My family dynamics are that my parents divorced early in life, didn't have uh, that relationship you know, much uh, after the divorce. Um, my mom remarried. Uh, my father later remarried. Um, they were not, you know, too comfortable in all this. They didn't, I didn't know how, quite how I fit in when now with dad and stepmom. Um, then mom gets divorced again. And then you get all of those happy stories, you know, in a room together. Um, and you try to figure out where you seat them to. And, of course, you know, there's no, you can't win there either. Um, so we walk in. There's a, we're at a sandwich shop um, called Plain and Fancy um, on the square in Sulphur Springs. And walk in and there's about eight tables. And we had, you know, tried to kind of mastermind where everybody's sitting. But, again... Somehow we just messed that up. We just couldn't do it right. And you walk in and everybody is kind of expectant. Oh, you know, there they are. We want to talk to them. You've been doing your rehearsal. And, um, you know, everybody wants to see you first. I didn't make it to everybody first. And so uh, for years, uh, apparently we paid for that. And uh, we were um, not in good graces um, and, uh, you know, cut out of the will and all those things. But, you know, later on it came together uh, and it was all right. But um, it's difficult sometimes when you get family together. Um, at what should have been one of the best times in the Isaac and Rebecca family story, uh, it just totally falls to shambles. And, and that walks us into Genesis 27. Um, a lot of you are familiar with those painful family dynamics like we talked about. Your story is different. Your story is maybe not the same as theirs. But you have your own parts where you go, you know, we just missed God's best there. 
Um, mom struggled, dad, you know, the choices weren't right. We, um, I've strayed from that, you know, whatever the, the part is. Um, it can be difficult here. It's interesting even in this text that uh, these dynamics happen in Israel's chosen family. Um, in fact, this is just one generation removed from uh, God speaking very clearly and giving that promise um, and hope to Abraham. I'm sure they're hearing those stories, you know, as they're growing up. And yet, at this part, it pretty much is completely deteriorated. So we're going to walk through that a little bit. Um, I'd encourage you in Genesis 27 to follow along. It's also on the screen, so you can grab a Bible from underneath the seat. But uh, let's walk through this a little bit and just see some of the things that, we can, uh, that, that God can teach us through this passage. Genesis 27, verse 1. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, my son. Now you stop here and you think, you know, this kind of looks like a, a combination. It's a sad moment. You know, we're, we're thinking here about Isaac. He's old. Um, they, they use the, those terms, that description about him. He's weak. Um, you kind of get the sense, you know, he's, he's about to die. And in fact, he says that of himself um, a, a couple verses later. But, you know, you really, you stop and you kind of go, you know, we have trouble already here in verse 1. Um, look at this a little bit. You know, don't you think, first of all, if you skip back um, into the story a little bit, if you know that your wife is barren, <clears throat> um, and not only is she barren, not only are there no children coming there, um, but you are begging the Lord to allow your, your wife to have children. You want them. The children are uh, helping your family. But also the weight of all your forefathers, the promises of um, Abraham, promises of Noah are resting on you. You can either make this or break this. You can mess it up and God leads, um, you know, Rebecca to you and you're married and there's no children coming. You know, that's a difficult time and that stands out in your mind. But not just that. Um, don't you know that when you beg God for her to be able to conceive and she has children, that's your, there are twins. And when she's carrying those twins, the Bible says that is, those twins are so violent within her that she goes back to God and says, okay, this isn't exactly what I thought, you know, the sweet childbirth thing, you know, kind of have kids. I, I was going to be nicer than this. What is going on? And don't you know that if God speaks clearly, speaks these words to Rebecca, uh, where he says that despite the, uh, the culture, despite the way that you guys usually bless the firstborn, I'm going to choose the youngest to rule over the older. Um, and, and they come out and even um, the birth is a very uh, interesting picture there where the, the youngest is holding on to the heel, kind of, you know, I want what you have type of thing. You think you would remember that part. You think it would be very clear to you. It would stand out to me. Just God speaking would be a pretty clear thing, you know, in that part. Um, I wish that God spoke sometimes that way, although maybe I don't because they didn't handle it very well. But, uh, so you think you'd remember all this, but he misses the part here. It was Jacob who's supposed to get the blessing. But when you look at here, he doesn't call Jacob in. He calls Esau in. Esau, my oldest son. Um, later on, you see that, that it looks like this father-son relationship, this, this was the favored son. These guys hung out together. They, they probably hunted together. They loved some of the same things. Um, we're told that uh, father really loved um, Esau and, and who he was, that he was a rough you know, kind of country guy. Um, countryman, the hunter, the guy who could kind of provide for himself. Um, he loved this one, but he doesn't call in the, the right child here. And so we kind of continue on. Um, why does he do this? Well, he says it's because he's an old man and he's about to die. Yeah, that's the scripture part there. But, but it's kind of interesting. You know, who does this sound like 
Uh, I'm about to die and I need something. Sounds kind of like Esau, doesn't it? The, the same thing that Esau was doing a little while ago, two chapters back, where he goes to his brother and says, I'm famished, I've been hunting, I'm about to die. Give me some of that you know, stew that you're making, some of that tasty food. Um, it's interesting, if you went through here and just tried to figure out the subject of, uh, of the passage by how many times words are used, you would come to the conclusion that this is about tasty food. It appears nine times in one chapter, tasty food. Um, that's what he wants. That's what, unfortunately, I, um, Isaac is after. He wants the food. He's not thinking about the blessing part. He's not thinking about um, how he can follow God's plan. He's thinking about what is my need right now that someone's not providing. I'm feeling kind of sorry for myself. I'm losing my vision. And I know we, we kind of see the older part. You know, we worry about that. But, but if you kind of follow through the years here, you look. Um, Isaac was about 60 years old when the twins were born, which seems old to us. Uh, and it was. It was a late start in life. And this takes place sometime afterwards. Um, he, he's perhaps 120, 130 years old, which sounds old. But if you think back, his father Abraham lived to be 175 years old. Um, his grandfather Terah lived to be 205 years old. You know, you probably have a pretty good indication at this point. I may not be at the end of my life. And uh, in fact, you see, it's interesting. Um, Isaac ends up living another 50 plus years. So what's really happening here? Um, it's not, I don't think about that end of life blessing. It's not that moment that we kind of imagine here of, you know, blessing and handing things over. Um, Isaac is in a moment of weakness. And he's willing to trade God's abundant life and his promises, what he knows God has in store uh, for him and for his sons, this hugely important line for some tasty food. And I wonder if we're very different from Israel. Because there's some of those times, you know, we think back and go, yeah, God probably had a plan that I didn't follow, something that I missed. You've got to realize um, at this point, um, you live out in the desert in a tent and uh, your tent's not very big. There's not much privacy in a tent. Um, soundproofing meant that you had to go miles away. Um, but uh, Rebecca, of course, is right around the corner. So she hears all this that's going on. And uh, so immediately after they finish uh, talking there and he sends Esau out, um, immediately she does what any God-fearing wife would do in this situation where her husband's missing the mark. She schemes in the background, right? I'm going to fix this. I want to see doing. I can't go to him, you know, so let me just kind of take care of this my way. Uh, and again, we see that same thing. She was told by God what was going to happen. She could stop and trust God. But I'm sure it's difficult at this part. Now, the trick also here is she's a little worried about her favorite son. Right. So we see um, some of that that unfair favorites kind of play, coming into play there as well. So she starts meddling behind the scenes. She grabs her favorite son, Jacob, um, the son of promise, and she hatches a plan with him. How do we get what we know we're supposed to do? Um, so here's what we're going to do. You're going to go out and kill some of the goats, bring it over to me. I'm going to make some of that tasty food that daddy likes, and, um, you know, and then we're going to prepare that. It's interesting. All of them apparently cook. Um, so they all manipulate with food here. It's an interesting family dynamic. Now, on this, like you hope he would, we're kind of saying, okay, dad, you know, good old daddy's kind of missing the plan. Um, Mom's not helping very much, you know, so they're all scheming and kind of doing the wrong thing. So maybe maybe Jacob will stand up. You know, when I would first learn this passage, I I kind of saw these as teenagers. Uh, You know, they're kind of coming into life and they're young and dad's getting a little bit older, but they're not. We know that Esau picked wives when he was 40. This is happening after this time. These are adults with some life experience, and uh, again, hopefully they've said, you know, God probably has some part in that for me. You know, Mom's been telling me, I'm the favorite son. She's been telling me that the whole time. 
I can probably trust God. And you'd hope that's why he pushes back, um, but it's not. Um, look at verses 11 through 14. We'll look at this uh, together as well. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. And so he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared that tasty food we've been hearing about just the way his father liked it. Um, unfortunately, this is where Jacob pushes back. He says, wait, 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 wait. We've got to work on this plan so I don't get busted. <clears throat> I want to make sure that this goes well for me, um, that, that I'm not in trouble. Dad doesn't you know, get me in trouble there. Um, I'm not caught in the middle of a bad situation. So they work really hard to make the deception right. Um, they get some of that. They kill the poor goat. <clears throat> not only do they use the meat, but they put the goat fur on his hands and on his neck. Put Esau's clothes over that um, so that he'll smell right and send him in to, uh, to try to get the father's blessing here. And you know the story. Jacob goes in and he pulls off the easy deception, takes advantage of poor old blind dad. Right, that's the way we usually read the story. You know, <clears throat> it was really a wrong thing for him to do. He should have, uh, should have not taken advantage. You know, dad had no idea what was going on. He's at the end of his years. He's on his deathbed. <clears throat> Excuse me, but... When you look at this and you get back to the passage, it gives us insight into the reality. Um, and let me just cover a couple of these for you. Verse 18, he comes in, he announces, my father. And Isaac replies, yes, who are you? Okay, these guys, are, they're not two. They are twins, but they're pretty different. They're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. He has a pretty good idea who's at the door. So basically, um, translated it is, what are you doing here? <laughs> I didn't send you out. Um, and yet, you know. You're, you're here at the tent on the day that I'm going to give the blessing. So uh, look at then verse 19. Or, um, he says, well, it's me, Esau. And Isaac says, well, how did you finish your hunting trip so far? This has been going on a while. Um, they do the hunting trip apparently all the time. He knows how long it's going to take for him to go out in the country, um, kill the game, come back, fix up the tasty food the way he likes it. This is a pattern going on for them. Um, translated, he says, no, really, you're not the right guy. You're not the one I'm looking for. He's got a pretty good idea of what's happening here. Isaac's pretty clear. Um, and you see, uh, continually, he, he's asking these questions. Verse 19, they bring God into it. Um, it's unfortunate in this passage that's all about God's blessing and all about how we um, follow what God wants for us, that this is the first time that the Lord is mentioned. And uh, unfortunately, it's not mentioned to say, you know, because God said, or because God has taught our fathers, uh, because we should trust in God, um, no, God has brought in it to justify Jacob's deception. And uh, verse 21, Isaac says, well, come close so I can touch you. Again, going, I know you're not going to, I'm going to bust you. You Come in here, I'm going to touch and see, see if you're really my son Esau or not. You've got to pause the film right there and think, this is that moment of truth. I don't know if you've ever watched, you know, flipping around the channels and NBC would have this to catch a predator show. And uh, so they kind of set up these guys who are trying to take advantage of underage girls, um, pretend that they're going to meet up, um, just what, you know, this, this guy's been looking for. And when they walk in, uh, of course, it's not the 14-year-old girl they think they're coming to meet. Um, it's Chris Hansen. You know, it's, the, it's this host of the show. And uh, it's interesting to see how these people respond when they're in the middle of being busted. Um, you know, the camera crews, you know, kind of come running out and the whole part there. And um, they have a couple of choices there. I mean, you just see these, uh, they're, they're just squirming. You know, what, what am I going to do? I'm probably going to jail, or I think I can work my way out of it. I'm going to tell the truth, or 
<laughs> I'm going I'm to really try to make up something outrageous. Um, and, and they go both ways. <clears throat> but at that time, it's kind of testing time, isn't it? It's rubber hits the road. It's what are you going to do with the situation? Um, basically, what uh, Isaac is saying here is, how far are you willing to go with this? Because we're pretty clear you're not who I'm looking for. <clears throat> Look at this, verses 22 through 25. We'll read this again. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. And then he asked again, Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. And then he said, My son, bring me some of that tasty food, that, and then I'll give you that blessing. So Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. So Isaac forces the hand, really, of his entire family. You know, it's, it's, it's a classic dysfunctional family. It's kind of like the alcoholic dad, and everybody's kind of walking on eggshells. You know, we're, in the background, we're trying to kind of get things working, but don't upset dad. You know, we'll just kind of play along with the game. Um, we'll do whatever we need to do to kind of deceive him. It's a codependent you know, relationship, and everybody's suffering in this. Um, and I'm pretty sure this is not what God had in mind. For their family. When he's making the, the plan for them and wants to bless them and tells them in advance, I want to give you a heads up. I'm not going to do what you're going to expect. I'm doing something different. Um, I'm sure he had something different planned. And so Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob. Um, God told him that he had a plan for it, that he would provide. And, uh, and yet the good news is somehow that God's redemption, um, his redemptive plan moves on. It carries on there. Again, it's the redemptive tragedy of the story. Um, it's the redemptive tragedy of the Old Testament. Um, it's the, the tragedy of my life and of yours that we sometimes don't go the way God wants. And maybe it's the circumstances we're stuck with. Maybe it's the hard choice we have. <clears throat> and maybe it's trying to seek out of, off, after the thing that we think that we need or want so bad. Um, and God's not providing it when or how we want it. And we think we need to go our own way. And yet, God still provides his grace and his love and his blessing um, for them as well uh, because he loved Abraham and he loved Isaac and he loved Jacob and he carried out his plans through the broken pieces of their life. So to kind of wrap this part up, um, just to remind you kind of what has happened here, um, we see that um, Jacob leaves the tent and um, kind of that story is done. <clears throat> Let me give you an example, and, and uh, I think our media guys have, have skipped around for me because I've done one thing there. We talked about the whole red paperclip thing. Here's what I imagine. <clears throat> it's kind of like you have this, the one, A1 red paperclip, and this is just a great little thing to you. You think it's all the world. You want to trade, do whatever you can for your red paperclip. I imagine, you know, it, it's a ridiculous thing why you want to have, you know, make a big deal about a red paperclip, but it seems pretty close to what... Um, what Isaac is doing here with the whole thing about the stew, right? He's willing to trade heaven and earth. He's willing to, to crash the family, to threaten to derail God's plan for this little bowl of stew, thinking that that will get him what he wants. Um, the story of the red paperclip. Let me bring a little bit of clarity to you um, and let you know about the story of the red paperclip. Back in 2005, Kyle McDonald had a red paperclip and he had an idea. They thought he could do something. Now, I want to tell you, you are not Kyle McDonald. Let me just uh, preface a story by that. Um, I am not Kyle McDonald. It's good for you to tell yourself, because at some point you're going to have a red paperclip moment, and you're going to think, man, I've got the answer. This, this, this little thing in my hand is the key to everything that, that uh, would be good in my life. And it's not. So just tell yourself, I'm not Kyle McDonald. So, here we go. July 12, 2005. 
Um, he says this, and uh, a little clip from his website. He says, this red paper clip is currently sitting on my desk next to my computer. Um, I plan in the next year to take this red paper clip. I'm going to make continuous trades. Um, I'm going to trade up until I can turn this paper clip into something great, like a house or an island or a house on an island. You know, just kind of whatever works there. And, you know, so it sounds pretty harebrained, you know, pretty weird idea, but uh, that's his plan. You get the idea of what he's going to do. So, two days later, um, July 14th, he gets a response from Ronnie and Karina, who kind of go, oh, see, you know, this guy's a little weird. Two of us better meet with him just in case. He's really psycho. And um, we're going to trade him for a fish pen. So that's what he gets so far. He has traded his red paper clip for a fish pen. A little while later, um, he goes from that fish pen, and um, he says, you know, again, okay, I want to see if I can trade up. And uh, so we may have some pictures here. He goes from the fish pen to a doorknob. Big trade. Right? He's, he's moving up in the world. Um, thinks he can do well. Um, a couple weeks later, he's able to put that trade again. Somebody says, you know, okay, you know that's kind of interesting. I've never seen a doorknob like that. You know, I think I could use that. So I'm going to trade that for a Coleman stove. And he kind of starts working his way up, right? Starting from the red paper clip. So it keeps going. You know, the interesting part here is he kind of stalls out um, if you were following his website. I don't think anybody was, you know, except for four people here in, in July of 2005 in Canada, by the way. Um, but two months goes by, and uh, somebody takes him up on that and says, you know, Coleman Stove, that looks good because I've got this kind of fire um, accident waiting to happen. So they trade him for a red generator. So he moves up. And let me move on um, because he makes a couple of trades here. Two months later, um, goes again, trades it for one instant party. And uh, that speaks for itself. Um, goes on from there. That is traded for a snowmobile, which is traded for one trip to Yak, a uh, trip to two. Uh, if you see on the sign, it says unincorporated. Nobody wants to go to Yak, but apparently he trades. Um, he has to, the, the key to that one is he has to somehow get the snowmobile to Yak to get there. doesn't know how he's going to do that. But fortunately, somebody trades him for a moving truck. Um, he takes a moving truck and he re- changes that for one recording contract. He trades that up for one year in Phoenix. Um, he trades that for one afternoon with Alice Cooper. Yes, there's he and Alice Cooper with the world's biggest red paper clip. Um, he trades that. Uh, apparently, he got to be with him and somebody else gets to do that, too. He trades that for one kiss snow globe, um, which is kind of an odd thing. But apparently, this guy collects snow globes from all around the world. I thought that was interesting, which is traded for a role in a movie. With like a C-list actor. You know, we wouldn't know him. Which is traced for, traded for a house in Kipling, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he says he did that all. It happened within the scope of one year, July 2005 to July 2006. And uh, if you're interested now, he's been there for a little while. He's still in the house, um, maybe working towards that island, um, you know, thing that he's got in his mind. But um, so here's an interesting thing. Just a weird story. You know, one of those strange things that happened back in the days of the Internet, although stranger things have happened still. Um, sometimes we think, and again, remind yourself, this doesn't really happen in the real world. I'm not Andy McDonald. But sometimes we just have something really odd, and we think, this is the key to my success. This right here, baby, this is the winning ticket. It's all going to change right here. My fortunes are turning, you know, turning around. It's looking up. And I think it, it, that's kind of that same just weird mentality um, that they were getting stuck in. So here you go. We go back to the story. Um, Jacob leaves the tent. Isaac is still basking. Oh, he, he's had his tasty food. He feels good. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of like fajitas. Everybody knows that you've had fajitas, you know, because you smell like fajitas for the rest of the day kind of thing. Um, 
Well, right after um, one son walks out, the other son walks in. Esau comes in, and you can just tell, you know, dad doesn't look as hungry as he used to. In fact, he, you know, he's kind of passed out of sleep, and it smells kind of like that tasty food that I make, um, but I haven't been here yet. And um, so, comes in, dad sit up. You said, you know, if I made this great soup, that you would give me that blessing. No, I'm, I'm the oldest son. I'm the one that you love. This is what I'm supposed to get. You know, this is your plan for me. And you know that Isaac meant well. I'm, I'm sure that, I don't think he wants to be completely deceptive and do the wrong thing here. You know, I imagine when, as a, when he saw Esau um, playing as a child, that he thought that things would turn out differently. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, when they were hunting together, you know, over the 40, 50, 60 years that he's been alive, he didn't want things to happen this way. But, but this is how things turn out. So look at this. We're going to look once more. And we really, uh, I can't put it in better than Scripture. Um, it's just full of emotion. Um, pregnant with meaning, and uh, so let's read this, starting in verse 32. His father, Isaac, asked him, who are you? (laughs) Again, he knows who he is. I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud, bitter cry and said to his father, bless me. Me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and was taking my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And Isaac answers Esau, I have made him Lord over you and I've made him over all of his relatives. His relatives will be his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then this grown man, husband of uh, two wives, the kids by now, wept aloud. Really, you know, at this point, Isaac, he's got nothing but the sloppy seconds to give. Um, He's given what he could. He's given um, God's plan away. And it's gone the right way, but uh, apparently that wasn't clearly explained to, to Esau. Esau was left in the wrong way. So the family's looking like this now. Now Isaac really wants to die. Um, I'm sure I wouldn't want to live in that situation. Unfortunately, that's not God's plan either. So he'll live another 50 years to, to see the result of the mess he's made. He'll live to see um, Esau shortly after. He has a hunting knife kind of sharpening, but... You know, this time he's kind of got that crazy look looking at his brother, um, wants to kill his brother. And so the family has to be separated. Uh, Rebecca uh, sends the, the kids apart, says, um, Jacob, he's going to try to kill you. And in the last one of this chapter, Rebecca is uh, mentioned. And instead of, you know, here's one last chance in our story to kind of seek forgiveness and to do the right thing. And instead of saying, you know, son, I've, <laughs> I've screwed it up. And, and let me help you make sense of this. Let me step in and at least, you know, play that role a little bit. Um, instead, you know, she basically says, you know, never liked his wives anyway. So there's a couple of things that we can think of, too. I don't know what your family's like, but we can always remember this. God has a plan for me, and he knows my needs. And he knows I'm so much better than we do. I, I know sometimes we think we have it figured out. We've got the red paper clip. We've got the ticket to success. But, but God already has a plan for us. My choices in life affect those that I love. You know, that's an unfortunate part. And God is um, great at giving second chances and His grace coming on people. 
but, but it's hard to get that part back. Sometimes that, uh, it causes irreversible pain. God's grace can cover my mistakes. Well, if nothing else, if you just stop and kind of think of the emotion and put yourself in the story, you may already be thinking through and go, you know, okay, maybe I didn't do it that bad. But, you know, I've made mistakes too. What am I going to do? What was God's blessing for me that I missed? I'm in a bad situation right now. What am I doing? How do I, how do I go back and tell her the truth? How do I go back to my kids and undo what I've done? But God's grace can cover your mistakes. And it's not too late. And uh, we need to know that too.